Hi there, and welcome along to this week's episode of the Think Curiously podcast, the weekly Stoic series. Now, have you ever thought about what it means to be present? If you've listened to any of the previous episodes of this series, of the main series itself, or even the Backbone Bite Size series that we drop every Wednesday, you'll not be surprised to know that I do like to think deeply about some of these philosophical terms and ideologies. And it turns out that the main topic of this week's episode is precisely that, about being present. Now, I'm going to keep this intro quite short this week to give us some time to discover the life and the story of Panetius, because last week we didn't get the chance with so much information to fit in with journaling articles that we kind of skipped over that part. So Panetius himself could quite easily also be known as a connector. But before I dive directly into his story, let me digress just for a moment and take you into the world of Malcolm Gladwell. I love his writing style. I love the way that he swings back and forth between numerous seemingly unrelated stories to then hit you right between the eyes with one common denominator linking them all. And I guess that's the reason why I want to bring him into this because he connects stories so well, just as Panetius was such a good connector himself. Now in his book, The Tipping Point, Gladwell talks about three different archetypes of people. He talks about mavens, connectors and salespeople. Now, mavens make change happen through information and ideas. These are the people that you ask whenever you want to know something about anything. They're always the people in the know. Salespeople make change happen through persuasion. They can take an idea, they can make it stick, but they can make it accessible and they can position it to get a tribe behind it. Salespeople are your storytellers. They're the masters of persuasion. But then you've got connectors. Connectors make change happen through people. They galvanize people. They're natural hubs. People gravitate towards them. They're just the way that they're orientated to the world. These people are who, every time you ask a question, they start by saying, who do I know who knows this? Or who do I know who has done this before? Or along the lines of, who do I know that I need to contact or even connect you with? They love connecting you with people because they're all about people. And that's exactly what Panetius was. Essentially, he was the Stoic connector. Now, little is known about his early life, though we do know that his father was on a diplomatic mission to Rome not long after Diogenes successfully visited. And his father may have introduced his son to the teachings of Crates. Now, there's a few stories out there. One story is that his father brought him brought home some of the books and some of the teachings of Crates, and his son then read them and became interested in philosophy that way. But another story is that he actually accompanied his father on his diplomatic mission, and he met Crates, or at least he was part of a gathering, listening to the teachings. But as it so happened, Panetius would eventually study under the Crates before moving to Athens to study under Diogenes. Now, during his time with Diogenes, Panetius would meet up and then study with Gassius Lilius. And through Lilius, he would then later meet with Scipio Aemilianus, one of Rome's great generals. Back in Rome, these three men would then eventually form some kind of philosophical club, known to historians as the Scipionic Circle. They would meet in Scipio's enormous houses and discuss and debate Stoic philosophy, where Zeno was the founding member and genius, and Chrysippus was the cleaver to the academy's knots. Aristo favoured absolutism over pragmatic direction, and Antipater moved in the opposite direction of trying to lay out rules for everyday life. Panetius was a kind of weaver, trying to connect and tie Stoic Roman ethical perspectives together, introducing philosophical consideration to Rome's elite with one hand, whilst subtly directing them to protect and service the interests of his distant homeland with the other. Now, if you would like to find out more about the lives of the Stoics, 
You can do so by reading the aptly named Lies of the Stoic book by Ryan Haldy. That's the one that I use to draw inspiration from when I discuss the aforementioned Stoic characters. Now, as I previously mentioned at the very top of the show, the main topic of this week's is Being Present, which was inspired by reading page 85 of The Daily Stoic, the book by Ryan Haldy, upon which this podcast is based. And it's titled, The Present is All We Possess. And it reads like this. Were you to live 3,000 years, or even a countless multiple of that, keep in mind that no one ever loses a life other than the one they are living, and no one ever lives a life other than the one they are losing. The longest and the shortest life, then, amount to the same. For the present moment lasts the same for all, and is all anyone possesses. No one can lose either the past or the future. Today notice how often you look for more. That is, wanting the past to be more than what it was, different, better, or even still here, or wanting the future to unfold exactly as you expect, with hardly a thought as to how that might affect other people. When you do this, you're neglecting the present moment. Talk about ungrateful, there's a saying attributed to Bill Keane, the cartoonist worth remembering, yesterday's past, tomorrow's the future, but today is a gift, that's why they call it the present. This present is in our possession, but it has an expiration date, a quickly approaching one. If you enjoy all of it, it will be enough. It can last a whole lifetime. Now, what was quite interesting was after reading that, I couldn't stop my mind racing with ideas, thoughts, feelings, and experiences related to being present. Because a few weeks back, through the Changemakers NI project, I hosted a TED Talks Circle event where we gathered together a few of our contacts to discuss the idea of being present. What does it mean to you? How do you know that you're being present? How do you become more present? Does the present actually exist? Now, I'll discuss that in a little bit more detail later on, but first, here's my journal entry from March 15th, answering the question set forth in my journal. What would I be like if I focused entirely on the present moment? The past is just a memory. The future is just a dream. If the clock told the truth, it would just say now. A short poem that I came across about 10 years ago whilst watching a real-life crime investigatory series called The West Memphis Three. And in respect to the passage in the Daily Stoic and the question of this journal entry, I think it does a good job at summing it up. Though I question the word present to describe what we're currently experiencing. I'm not sure that present ever really exists. If it does, as soon as you've thought about it, the thought becomes the past. And as soon as you look forward in time to being present, then that thought is driven by future expectations. It could then be said that present is an ongoing experience. That when we fully become conscious of it, we're not experiencing the same present we once thought of. I prefer to use the use of moments rather than being present because I feel it covers a larger time span. It's less context specific, allowing us to pick up on many more conscious and subconscious triggers to collate, store and experience the situation we find ourselves in. Logically, present conceptualizes a smaller time frame, a narrower point of focus. Moments have a wide breadth of sensory feedback. But I do question, what does it matter if I think of it as present or being a moment? That, I suppose, will take further explanation. I guess when I started writing that entry, I was very much driven by the teachings of the book The Power of Moments by Dan and Chip Heath, and the idea presented by Daniel Kahneman of the two different selves. Now, Kahneman would suggest that we carry with us two separate selves, the remembering self and the experiencing self. The remembering self looks back, delves into our memory bank, and brings the past to life. 
the experiencing self, however, is what you're using now to listen to me speak. And when I reflect on my journal entry, it becomes clear that my ideology of moments is an attempt to cover both, whereas present would only be assimilated to the experiencing self. Now, I must admit that whenever I sat down to think about this week's episode, the structure of it, I didn't actually think that it would go as deep as what it has done. But nonetheless, I did take real value from it, and I hope that you have too. But this whole idea about being present, even in my journal article when I speak about the moments, I do wonder if we think about that enough in context of trying to enjoy what we have right now, because I'm going to give you a quick story of a situation I found myself in a few months back before Christmas when I was sitting uh, discussing this whole idea with a cousin of mine. And he basically said to me that we need to try and find calmness in the chaos, right? When everything's going crazy, you're at a birthday party, an anniversary, a Christmas celebration, whatever it is, all the family or friends are all over. You have to just find that one moment where you can just sit and take it all in, experience what's going on. And when I read the ideology behind experiencing and remembering self, that calmness in the chaos just came to my mind. Can you find that one moment just to sit and take it all in? And when I when we spoke about that, I kind of thought about it as being like a movie scene. You know, when you see a room packed full of people and the main character the movie scene is almost as if the, the room itself slows down and everybody's moving in slow motion. They can pick out faces and expressions and colors uh, and moments in time that are happening right in front of him. And he's able to pick up on those cues and, and take all of that. And that's exactly what I felt like when he talked about that. And I guess when I reflect back on my journal article about being present or about the moment, that's essentially what I'm talking about. That canvas and the chaos, I believe it kind of just packages it together quite nicely. And that's where I'm going to end this episode at least this part of the episode in a way, as we move on to close off this week's podcast with six days worth of Stoic wisdom from the Daily Stoic, the book by Ryan Holiday, upon which this podcast is based. And it's six days worth of Stoic wisdom and not seven, because we already visited March the 15th in the main body. March 12th, seeing things as the person at fault does. Whenever someone has done wrong by you, immediately consider what notion of good or evil they had in doing it. For when you see that, you'll feel compassion instead of astonishment or rage. For you yourself may have the same notions of good or evil or similar ones, in which case you'll make an allowance for what they have done. But if you no longer hold the same notions, you'll be more readily gracious for their error. Socrates, perhaps the wisest person to ever live, used to say that nobody does wrong willingly, meaning that no one is wrong on purpose either. Nobody thinks they're wrong. Even when they are, they think they're right, they're just mistaken. Otherwise, they wouldn't think it anymore. Could it be that the slight you've experienced or the harm that others have done to you was not inflicted intentionally? What if they simply thought they were doing the right things for them or even for you? It's like the memorial for Confederate soldiers at Arlington, which states in part that the Confederate soldiers served in simple obedience to duty as they understood it. Again, they understood wrongly. But it was their genuine understanding, just as Lincoln was genuine when he ended his famous Cooper Union speech by saying, let us to the end dare to do our duty as we understand it. How much more tolerant and understanding would you be today if you could see the actions of other people as attempts to do the right thing? Whether you agree or not, how radically would this lend change your perspective on otherwise offensive or belligerent actions? March 13th, one day if it all makes sense. Whenever you find yourself blaming providence, turn it around in your mind and you will see what has happened is in keeping with reason. Part of the reason we fight against the things that happen is that we're so focused 
on our plan that we forget that there might be a bigger plan that we don't know about. It is not the case that plenty of times, is it not the case that plenty of times something we thought was a disaster turned out to be with the passage of time a lucky brick? We also forget that we're not the only people who matter and that our loss might be someone else's gain. This sense of being wronged is simple awareness problem. We need to remember that all the things are guided by reason. But it is a vast and universal reason that we cannot always see. That the surprise hurricane was the result of a butterfly flapping its wings a hemisphere away, or that the misfortune we've experienced is simply the prelude to a pleasant and enviable future. March 14th. Self-deception is our enemy. Zeno would also say that nothing is more hostile to a firm grasp on knowledge than self-deception. Self-deception, delusions and grandeur. These aren't just annoying personality traits. Ego is more than just off-putting and obnoxious. Instead, it's a sworn enemy of our ability to learn and grow. As Epictetus put it, it is impossible for a person to begin to learn what he thinks he already knows. Today, we will be unable to improve, unable to learn, unable to earn the respect of others if we think we're already perfect. A genius admired far and wide. In this sense, ego and self-deception are the enemies of the things we wish to have because we delude ourselves into believing that we already possess them. So we must meet ego with the hostility and contempt that it insidiously deploys against us, to keep it away if only for 24 hours at a time. March 16th. That secret part of you. Hold secret your capacity for understanding. For in it is all that our ruling principle won't allow anything to enter that is either inconsistent with nature or with the constitution of a logical creature. It's what demands due diligence, care for others and obedience to God. The fact you can think, the fact that you can read this book, the fact that you are able to reason in and out of situations, all of this is what gives you the ability to improve your circumstances and become better. It's important to appreciate this ability because it's a genuine ability. Not everybody is so lucky. Seriously, what you take for granted, others wouldn't even think and dream of. Take a little time today to remember that you're blessed with the capacity to use logic and reason to navigate situations and circumstances. This gives you unthinkable power to alter your circumstances and the circumstances of others. And remember that with power comes responsibility. March 17th, the beauty of choice. You are not your body and your hairstyle, but your capacity for choosing well. If your choices are beautiful, so too will you be. It's that line in the movie Fight Club. You're not your job. You're not how much money you have in the bank. You're not the car you drive. You're not the contents of your wallet. Obviously, our friend Epictetus never saw the movie or read the book, but apparently the consumerism of the 1990s existed in ancient Rome too. It's easy to confuse the image we present to the world for who we actually are especially when media messaging deliberately blurs that distinction. You might look beautiful today, but if that was a result of a vain obsession in the mirror this morning, the Stoics would ask, are you actually beautiful? A body built from hard work is admirable. A body built to impress gym rats is not. That's what the Stoics urge us to consider. Not how things appear, but what effort, activity and choices they are the result of. March 18th. Impossible without your consent. Today I escaped from the crush of circumstances, or better put, I threw them out, for the crush wasn't from outside me, but in my own assumption. On tough days we might say, my work is overwhelming, or my boss is really frustrating. If we could understand that this is impossible, someone can't frustrate you. Work can't overwhelm you. These are external objects, and they have no access to your mind. 
Those emotions you feel, as real as they are, come from inside, not from the outside. The Stoics look upon it as taking up of perceptions, thoughts and judgments by our mind. What we assume, what we willingly generate in our minds, that's on us. We can't blame other people for making us feel stressed or frustrated any more than we can blame them for our jealousy. The cause is within us. They're just the target. 